0: Welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Somoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji.
1: Welcome to My Favorite Coffee Story. We have an amazing show today, and I can't wait to introduce our special guest. And before we get started, we have our On Farm moment, but I'd especially like to welcome our listeners all around the world. Welcome to our U.S. listeners, San Francisco and Los Angeles and Texas and Seattle and even Kansas City. And of course, we have a lot of listeners in Ireland and Canada and Japan and all around the world. So thank you for joining us today. We're talking about a life of service, helping children on a coffee farm. And our wonderful guest, Dr. William Bogle, is joining us today. Um, First, if I may share a quick Anikona farm moment, please. We have had so much rain here at Anikona Farm on the big island of Hawaii. Everything is beautiful, lush, green. The coffee trees are so vibrant. They've been so happy with the rain. As a matter of fact, in here at the end of April, we're having even snow on the m- summit of Mauna Kea, which is 14,000 feet up high. So it's been an amazing weather pattern we've had, but great for the coffee. And we're going over to the mill this week to roast some sp- special Dark roast coffee, which we cannot wait to share with our customers. So that's what's going on at Anicona Farm. So please, if I may introduce Dr. William Bogle, who's joining us from Guatemala. And Dr. Will was staff podiatrist for 21 years at the Virginia Mason. Medical Center in Seattle and for the last 10 years he's been a co-founder of Opal House in Guatemala with his wife Diane and Opal House is about two to three hours from Guatemala City a beautiful farm of 59 acres where it's Diane and Dr. Will have created a beautiful refuge for children for and to help them with health care and wellness and spirituality and education and of course, community and volunteerism, and we are so delighted you've joined us, Dr. Will. Thank you so much for being with us on my favorite coffee story today.
2: Thank you, Anniko, for having me.
1: Oh, it's it's such an honor, and you've had such an amazing career, Dr. Will. You. You have been um, a wonderful medical doctor for, for most of your life. And early days of your career, I believe you grew up in Santa Monica near Los Angeles. Is that correct?
2: I did. I had a big family in L.A. and uh, have very fond memories of the beach and, uh, and all the uh, outdoor activities like Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. And my grandparents lived in Palm Springs. So there was a lot of family fun there for me.
1: Oh, it sounds like you have a wonderful family. And then how how did it go when you started attending the University of Maryland? That was quite a distance from the Los Angeles area. Um, how Tell us, please, some of your favorite classes.
2: Well, uh, my father worked for IBM in L.A., and, and to get a promotion, uh, you have to move. So it's otherwise called I've Been Moved. So we moved a big family <laughs> of eight from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., which was a very big move. And, uh, you know, I will mention, there's one thing that uh, happened that was quite traumatic that probably shaped a lot of a uh, life of service. And <clears throat> we moved to Washington, D.C. and only six months later, my mom, my biologic mom of uh, eight kids, uh, had a very big uh, post de- uh, post-delivery depression and abandoned the family. So um, we were then on the East Coast with no family or friends, uh, other you know distant family. And uh, I was taken care of by some very special people, kind of adopted in my own little neighborhood. And I, I'll never forget that, um, that care by other families. So that shaped me as I grew up in Washington, D.C., that uh, there was um, that spirit of community that takes care of uh children without parents, and, um, and I wasn't truly orphaned, but I, I did feel adopted. So that shaped uh, my local life in Washington, D.C. quite a bit.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that with us, and definitely I can imagine that that would have a profound impact. Did that also influence you to possibly go into medical care and attend the California College of Pediatric Medicine?
2: Well, I was in the nation's capital, and I happened, I knew I was going to uh, medical school because I had met some wonderful doctors at the National Institutes of Health, where I worked for seven years in, in high school and all the way through University of Maryland. And that was a great experience outside of college. My job was with um, all kinds of uh, bright uh, scientists and researchers at NIH. And so I was... I decided to go into medicine and I happened to meet the executive director of the American podiatry. Uh, podiatrists are physicians and surgeons of the foot and ankle, a part of orthopedics. And I, I got interested in that particular subspecialty. I like the balance of office and surgery work and, and that you, know, you could have a home life too and raise a family without being um, married to your practice uh, seven days a week.
1: So true. Well, working at the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, sounds like that was a tremendous experience for you and definitely inspired you. And um, with your siblings, being eight, are you still very close with your brothers and sisters? Are they in the D.C. area?
2: Yes, uh, I have my mom. uh, Well, my stepmom, I call her my mom because three or four years after that traumatic event, uh, my dad did remarry. And um, she lives in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, and I have two brothers in the area and a sister. Uh, I have um, some family still in Los Angeles and Laguna Beach. And so we're kind of spread out. uh, uh, And so are our children. Uh, They're all over the country, really. So, um, yes, plenty of family all around the U.S., both coasts. and everywhere in between
1: (laughs) yes I think it's fascinating that you decided to do a foot and ankle specialty and how you were inspired by that by chance do you have some favorite coffee stories during university days and during your your medical
2: time well I I loved uh, sports medicine and and podiatrists are kind of the running doctor and they do a lot of athletic care for um, all kinds of sports and we used to go around San Francisco and um, go to all the races, and we would uh, treat the patients at the races. And I remember uh, personally treating a lot of famous runners, like um, Mary Decker and um, uh, Walt, Wilt Chamberlain came in at one of wow. our races, like size 21 feet, and
0: uh, oh my goodness. and
2: we. We used to uh, see lots of uh, runners and enjoyed the um, the Bay Area and the you know the outdoor environment and the sports medicine culture that was there. It was a lot of fun to go to school in San Francisco. So I left University of Maryland and spent the next four years in San Francisco in uh, in my medical school. So it was it was a great place to go to school. I loved it.
1: Absolutely, and I know that you also did a lot of volunteer work while you were living there in San Francisco for example, the uh, Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic, please share with us some stories about what that may have been like.
2: Yeah, it was uh, rewarding and fascinating because uh, every Monday night for all four years of medical school, I would go over to the free clinic and we treated um, the, I would just call them the displaced uh, uh Patients of San Francisco, street people, um, uh, sick people, patients with AIDS. This was right at the height of the AIDS epidemic in San Francisco from 81 to 85. Uh, I learned how to take care of a lot of sick people. And it wasn't about money. It was about um, reaching out to those who didn't have a lot of options. And that was... um, it, that connected with me. That that's what I wanted to do in medicine all along: is serve those who don't really have much choice or options, and don't fit into the the healthcare system very well.
1: Well, we're so grateful to you, Doctor Will, for doing that and and for being so good to your community and helping so many people. I know that you also helped so many people in Seattle when you, when you were doing surgical residency. And you would help with free clinics there as well. And you also helped for many years, um, even in the prison system, there at the Monroe Medium Security Prison. Please share with us a few of the stories when you were in Seattle.
2: Uh, Seattle was where I did my residency, and it was a great place to raise a family in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And uh, um, I did some service work at the country doctor down in it's a free clinic in downtown Seattle They treated the same patient population as I did in San Francisco. Uh, but uh, serving around the uh, east side, uh, Monroe is uh, uh, the, the medium security prisons over on the east side. And uh, I just found myself called to um, uh, do one on one counseling. This is part of my um, Christian faith journey is to reach out to people who who have had uh, uh, a traumatic incident. People in jail have gotten too angry or or had something uh, get out of control, uh, but they still need the same compassion and eventually forgiveness as any of us.
1: Absolutely. And I know you've worked with um, a lot of homeless as well as teenagers who are runaway teens. and your amazing heart and how you help others is really amazing and how you have lived a life of service, helping so many others. and we're grateful to you for sharing about that. So then as you were in Seattle and you started working at the Virginia Mason Medical Center and you were there for, it looks like, 21 years as a staff podiatrist. Please share with us some of your favorite stories being at Virginia Mason.
2: Well, I liked the team concept. They uh, were Virginia Mason is ordered and shaped much like Mayo Clinic, and Dr. Mason actually trained at Mayo Clinic. So everyone on staff was salaried, and we called it team medicine. So I wasn't in competition with anybody. I wasn't running a small private practice. I was in a a large 450 doctor multi-specialty center. So it kind of reminded me of NIH, a big place with lots of specialists. And I really liked that team concept where we all refer to each other and um, did the very best comprehensive medical care we could do as a community rather than just as a private doctor and uh, I did 10 years of service down in the main campus down in downtown Seattle and then almost 12 over on the um, east side in the uh, uh, Kirkland area of Seattle.
1: Well I love that team effort that they do at Virginia Mason and how the medical doctors really team up to give the best care. And I know they appreciated all your good care. How did you and Diane, your wife, Diane, decide that for your 50th birthday, you were going to go to Guatemala?
2: Well, Diane and I have been medical missionaries. We would take all of our vacation time and we've served in Egypt and Guatemala once in 2004, um, Vietnam a couple times and and even in Venezuela and in Mexico, we've done some various uh, areas, which we found again rewarding. We'd often go to places that didn't have children's care. For example, Guatemala didn't have a children's hospital. And so we came down here in 2004 together and did children's um, leg surgery, reconstructive surgery. Uh, in the capital, and quite frankly, uh, we didn't like it very much. Of all the places I had been around the world, we uh, didn't think we'd ever go back to Guatemala. It was um, very dirty, very dangerous in, in this uh, barrio that we were in, even scary. And uh, the uh, uh, the the doctor van um, got stolen, so oh, there no. were, uh, it, it wasn't a, a memorable week. And um, make a long story short, we thought we'd continued serving in other countries as well as in the Seattle area. But uh, I had met an amazing um, visitor to Seattle, a missionary from Guatemala, while we were uh, working with New Horizons, which is a runaway teen ministry in downtown Seattle. And and um, so I figured I'd be meeting people from the Seattle area, but not, not Guatemalan missionaries. So... I like this man so much, He's he was in a, a very out of the box, brave and courageous missionary. So I told Diane, against all odds and surprise to her, that on my 50th, I, I got to choose where we go for my birthday. And I said, we're going back to Guatemala, and she begged me not, not to take her there. But we went anyway. <laughs> Oh, so that's, what a That's story. how we ended up back in Guatemala, against all odds. Uh, and, and some amazing things happened once we got here.
1: Well, and we're going to be taking a quick break, but I thought for our listeners, we would just quickly describe the farm that you found there in Guatemala with Diane. And what about the farm spoke to you to create Opal House for Children?
2: Well, it's a long story, but I'll give you the, the cliff notes. We are not farmers. As you know, i was I'm a city boy in all these places where we've lived. And Diane, uh, we, were, we were coming out to the rural Guatemala for a one-night stop to see this beautiful lake. There's a lake called Lake Atitlan, and it's one of the world's most beautiful lakes surrounded by volcanoes. And uh, we had heard that it was worth seeing. So before we flew out of the country the next day, we decided to come for a quick overnighter. And on the way out, Diane found an ad for a farm. And I thought, why would we go see a farm? It's my 50th birthday. It was the day of my 50th. (laughs) And I said, this is my golden birthday. I don't want to go see a farm, but I submitted to my dear wife, Diane. And we came to the farm, not looking for anything. Remember, we weren't attracted to Guatemala. And quite frankly, we had a very big revelation. We both saw this abandoned farm as a children's mission. We saw bunk beds full of kids. We saw children's gardens and playgrounds. And I, I can tell you very much this was not our plan. It was not our our idea even we still call it to this day uh, divine intervention and it was so strong that um, we decided to go forward on buying a guatemalan farm on a volcano and here (laughs) we live today
1: well and that's fantastic and such an inspiring story dr will and we can't wait to hear right after the break a little bit more about opal house's mission and all the good that you do for children there on the farm and it is a coffee farm that you have which is so exciting so we look forward to hearing a little bit more about some of your immediate projects when you took over the farm and some of the renovation that you needed to do like a new roof etc but it it is such an exciting and inspiring story we can't wait to hear more about it right after the break
0: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Ani Kona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Ani Kona Farm, You're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee. With love, please visit Anikona.com and get your Kona story coffee special today. you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. We've been having such an amazing time with our wonderful guest, Dr. William Bogle. and he's co-founder of Opal House in Guatemala. It's a fifty nine acre farm, and they do have coffee on the farm, but it's it's for children. And we had just heard about Dr. Will's early days and how he became a physician, and how he's been very active in the community, in helping others, whether it's been in San Francisco or Seattle. And we were just chatting with Dr. Will how he and his wife, Diane, found this farm near Guatemala City. And Dr. Will, we're just going to talk to you about, so what were some of those initial projects when you first had the farm and sort of how you embarked on your mission for Opal House?
2: Well, thank you. Uh, First of all, we're not farmers, and we were completely overwhelmed uh, by a large volcanic farm that uh, we knew was an avocado farm, uh, but when I asked the uh, widow uh, who we bought the farm from, well, what else is on this big farm? It's, it, it's a pitched farm that goes on the lake. We're on a volcanic caldera, so it's a rugged farm. It's, it's really quite a piece of property. And she said, oh, there's a little bit of fruit, and and oh, well, maybe there are 10 or 12 coffee plants way down in the bottom of the saddle at the bottom of the farm. She goes, don't worry about it. The guardian picks a few coffee plants, and he just sells it off. It's nothing to even be concerned about. So we didn't think much of it, uh, but during that year that we bought the farm, which was abandoned and was a giant project, and the homes were 30 years old and needed a lot of work, but... As Diane focused a lot on the homes, she would tell me that that beast out there, which was, uh, it's actually an 80 acre farm because it's, it's actually much bigger than it was advertised. We found thousands of beautiful coffee tree. We found abandoned virgin Arabica coffee farms all over the lower part of the farm and it appeared that the owner had purchased large coffee farms so that she wouldn't have any neighbors she would just buy land and buy land and the farm is now 1.2 miles long and there aren't any neighbors but it's a coffee farm so unbeknownst to us we bought a high altitude arabica strictly hard bean coffee farm and we had to <laughs> literally dig this out of the jungle because everything was buried in jungle vines and, um, and eventually cleared it up and saved about half of the trees. Uh, there were maybe two or 3,000 at the beginning. There's probably 1,500 trees or more right now. And the hilarious part about it is that I left Seattle, which was coffee central and latte land, and now we're Guatemalan coffee farmers
1: so amazing what a surprise that must have been to you and diane and so it sounds like some of those immediate projects were trying to get the house in better condition uh trying to sort of break through that jungly area and clear out things so that must have been a lot of work how did you go about doing all that work
2: i learned how to use a machete pretty quickly (laughs) And uh, we had friends come down from Seattle, and for about a year and a half, we would come quarterly and do two or three works of home renovation, and uh, we got the homes functioning. Literally, we did everything, septic, uh, electric, plumbing, uh, eventually a couple new roofs uh, to get the homes really up-to-date and stable. And then uh, there were were three homes uh, to take care of, the main home, a guest home, and the guardian home, which is your security guy on the farm. And then I started tackling the farm, uh, which was a huge undertaking, but with a lot of local help from uh, people in our community and visitors and some of our board members. Um, We've managed to uh, tame the uh, 80-acre beast, and now it's uh, actually a pretty productive uh, avocado and coffee farm, and all organic.
1: And all organic. That's amazing. And I bet your coffee is delicious. But even in addition to making an incredible place, uh, farm and coffee trees, you've been an amazing neighbor. Even though you don't have immediate neighbors there, you've been an amazing neighbor in your community. And I love how you said you didn't have a formal plan, but you listened to needs, and the need was so the needs were so great from poverty and hopelessness, and you felt the time was you know, now to do something now. So as you created Opal House, what was the mission, the, the original mission that you set out to do?
2: Well, so we didn't choose this place. It chose us, but Diane and I have a heart for children. And so we knew that we would serve children in various capacities. One of them is we thought we might be an orphanage because we saw so many abandoned children in Guatemala City. Interestingly, the national orphanage system of Guatemala shut down immediately after we arrived here for two whole years. They actually, the United Nations set some new rules and Guatemala took two whole years and and had zero adoptions for two years. So we couldn't even join uh, if we wanted to. And so we didn't know what we were doing here, literally, so we asked a lot of questions. And I think I think from our perspective, um, that's a good thing to do is to learn what the locals need instead of bringing them some kind of a fix. Americans have big hearts and wanna reach out to people, but the agenda here was always what the local people needed, not what we thought we would do uh, so we listened and we listened a lot. And one of the things was education. And we have opened a Montessori school that has eight grades because education here, it, the public education is rote and elementary at best. And then um, we have created a first class American uh, Montessori school that's a wonderful uh Wonderful place of joy for the kids to learn and interact with the curriculum. And it, it's a family environment. So that was important. Uh, and, and funny, all of this is pretty hilarious because again, we didn't choose this farm. We thought, well, we have, we're medical people and we have all this land. We would build um, a surgical center or hospital on this farm and serve the people locally. Well, that would have been quite absurd because we're on a big farm in an isolated area. We're we're next to a town of 5,000 people, but it would look awfully strange if we opened up a medical center on this rural farm. (laughs) So, we met a local uh, priest at a mission 20 minutes away, and he looked at me the first time I met him, and he said, "Would you like to see the hospital that I just built? And we don't have a surgeon, and we need one." Uh, And I said I couldn't believe they had and they had built a beautiful American made mission hospital 20 minutes from my home and they'd only had one Guatemalan doctor serving the people he's a general doctor and they had a big operating room that was completely empty and I had a container coming from Seattle of an operating room everything you need to set up an OR so that's what was fun about being here is It almost felt like they were waiting for us to come, and we came and supplied an operating room, and to this day, Diane and I serve in that hospital, that mission hospital, and in the operating room.
1: Oh, what a story, Dr. Will, and I know you were sending those supplies over from Seattle. Little did you know they were going to go to the exact spot there at the hospital, which was a huge help for the community and that you and Diane helped so much there at that surgery center. That's that's just incredible. And the community community must be so grateful to you. With um, also helping the kids, don't you have about maybe 15 to 20 children who live on the farm with you?
2: That was plan A With uh, as an orphanage. We had room for uh, that many. But when the orphanage system shut down for two years, Um, We literally were shut out of the system and when it reopened the pendulum had swung so far Conservatively that they were literally attacking American orphanages here and shut down about 40% of them And it wasn't a good time to become an orphanage. So what we did was Create a number of children's programs. So there's a sad fact about Guatemala uh just um in 2016, we know this from living here, but just in 2016, the BBC rated Guatemala the worst country in the world to be a child. Oh goodness, oh dear. And you'd think, how close, how can you be so close to the US and have the worst children's environment in the world? Well, two-thirds of the kids where I live here are malnourished. So we created a nutrition program. And our school Our organic farm and our school is a very big holistic nutrition program for the entire school and community. Uh, Also, education is pathetic, so we have a wonderful Montessori school with really, really great local teachers that we've found and trained. And uh, turning a chemically-based farm that was polluting this lake that we live on, because everything drains to the lake into an organic farm, Took a long time and a whole lot of work, but it's teaching locals about caring for the environment and not polluting a body of water. That's one of the world's most beautiful bodies of water. And these are just things that showed up here. We didn't plan them. We just looked and listened and we responded.
1: Well, and you responded in such a positive way. The school that you have, so it sounds like the children come to the school and they have an interactive... Montessori education, which is wonderful. And then also you provide nutrition, um, possibly even health care, uh, community, yes. spirituality, and all those things are part of a child's well-being and you give so much to children. What is it like there on the farm? Describe please like a typical day.
2: Well, uh, Diane's an early riser and she has her quiet time. Um, we have built a beautiful chapel on the farm and that's we call that our little cho- children's church, and all the kids get, what we call it character formation. Diane plans a lesson. Most every day of the week she has uh, children down there. and and we talk about character and faith development and just how to be good um, citizens and human beings that have a high character. Um, and sometimes in a, in a hand to mouth survival mode where people are malnourished and very poor, um, you know, a lot of uh, stealing happens and and things happen for survival reasons. And so that's what our reality is. We're interacting with the families and the children. Uh, Diane does most of the children's, um, spiritual guidance. Just, just really to show them um, the best way we know how to, how to love your neighbor. And, and you, you have to be honest to love your neighbor. Um, and then I, I, um, well, I run a farm crew of 10 to 12 men every day, construction and um, working an 80 acre farm has a lot of responsibilities. And since it's organic, everything is manual. We don't use machines here. We till the soil. We create ground cover. We have grafted 2,000 uh, avocado trees to become Haas avocado. And um, we've learned quite a bit of farm techniques. And I have a great Guatemalan crew, and we pay people just wages. And we've created a community here of locals who have been very, very loyal to um, the, the mission, the, the ideals that we're trying to uh, share with the local people.
1: All that you're doing is so incredible, Dr. Will, with Opal House and just running the farm, as well as being over there at the medical center and helping out there and helping with the children. How, are the children involved at all in, in the farm and as well, and, or picking, or or do they help you sometimes?
2: Yes, it's so much fun. Um, it, this place is a fun farm. <laughs> Not funny farm, a fun farm. <laughs> We um, every day is fun. Um, the kids. It's a great place to have a Montessori because Montessori is a natural curriculum and we build with wood, all the wood on the farm. We, we've built chapels, retreat centers, uh, 7000 square feet of uh, school buildings. And so the the being on a farm allows the kids to be outside a lot. And it's always spring-like here. It's always 75 degrees. So we spend a lot of education outdoors. For example, the kids just sowed a huge vegetable garden that they will water and they will raise with our own soil we make on the farm. So they're learning organic techniques of creating your own healthy soil, not using chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides. Uh, Planting your own uh, gardens. They do their own recycling and their own soil production. And they do um, field trips all over the farm, and we pick fruit trees. And believe it or not, they've even picked a little coffee.
1: Oh, that's so much fun. And it is a fun farm. And I, I'm curious, uh, before we go to break, Dr. Will, uh, if you would share with us maybe a favorite coffee story. It can be either something from your own farm there at Opal House or even just in general in Guatemala.
2: Well, the learning curve on coffee was really fun uh, to learn because I didn't know what to do with the coffee here. I certainly wasn't a coffee farmer in Seattle. And um, we asked the local people, uh, uh, mission uh, that they had a huge coffee farm and they I mean excuse me coffee factory and they showed me how to pick the coffee and process it and then we had that we were able to test roast so one of the funny stories was we sat around with our very first coffee harvest and we 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 did a light roast and a medium roast and a dark roast and I had some friends here from Seattle and we all sat around and brewed many, many pots of coffee, trying different combinations of the beans. And then I realized I was so wired on caffeine at about <laughs> one in the afternoon, I had to stop drinking the coffee and it felt like I was in college studying for uh, finals again. Um, but we loved learning how to taste coffee and how to how to learn how to make it. and. It's an art, and it was so much fun learning that. And that was eight years ago, and it's gotten better since then.
1: Oh, I bet you have delicious coffee, Dr. Will. And thank you for sharing with us that fun story. And we've so enjoyed hearing a little bit more about the projects that you've been doing there at Opal House and how the children are involved, and we really appreciate just uh your involvement in the community there and when we come back after the break we're going to hear maybe about dr will's dreams down the road Uh, so listeners please join us right after the break
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Ani Kona Farm where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Kona Story coffee special today. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at onicona.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We have an amazing guest with us, Dr. William Bogle. Dr. Will, as we call him, he was staff podiatrist for 21 years at the Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle. And for the last 10 years, he's been a co-founder of Opal House along with his wife, Diane, in Guatemala, near Guatemala City. And they run an amazing farm, about 80-acre farm that's coffee and has avocados, and it's organic. And they help children in the community with education and health care and spirituality and community, and we've been so enjoying hearing Dr. Will's stories, and he was just sharing about some of the coffee stories on the farm, and we were just going to ask Dr. Will about what are some of the upcoming projects or some of the dreams for Opal House.
2: Well, the coffee and the avocado is being cultivated to serve the mission. We want to try to be as self-sustaining as As possible, and uh, because we're 100% donation, and the more we create on the farm, the less donation-dependent we we would be, and I think that's a good model, and that's where we're heading into the future. I'd love to tell you one funny, quick story about coffee that, to me, couldn't have been dreamt because we love coffee and we're from Seattle. And I think that's one of the coffee centers of the US with Starbucks and all the coffee companies there. Yes. And I practiced in Kirkland and I treated thousands of Microsoft patients. I was right next to the Microsoft campus of 45,000 people. And for 10, 12 years, I was treating those patients all the time. And a really good friend of mine named John Howie. he's one of the very top chefs in Seattle. And he called me about two years ago, almost maybe three now, and he said, Will, I've had your coffee and I'm opening a top five-star restaurant at on Microsoft campus to help keep those those hardworking software developers from leaving the campus. And we want to sell your coffee at Microsoft in a top restaurant. And if you had told me 10 years ago when I was living in near Redmond, Washington, that I would be selling my own farm Guatemalan coffee to former patients, I, I, I would have told you that's not possible. <laughs> but that's exactly what's happening. We sell small quantities, but it's just hilarious. We, we always say God has a great sense of humor. <laughs> We're coffee farmers and selling some of it back to our, our local community in Seattle.
1: That is a great story, Dr. Will. And that actually is a dream, if you think about it, how that happened. And uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, that's an amazing story. Uh, And so with the coffee, that keeps you very busy. And, of course, the farm and the avocados and tending to the children's needs and the community needs. Um, What are some of your upcoming projects that you'll be working on?
2: Well, I've become a Rotary president here in the neighboring town of Panahacho. I never was in the U.S. a Rotarian, but we there's so much need here that um, Rotary had some possibilities for networking and bringing big projects down. And, and we brought um, just in the last few years a half million dollars of big projects and some of those are helping the environment here. Like uh, Um, reducing the pollution of Lake Atitlan, where we live. We want to see it uh, threatened. It was very much threatened like Lake Tahoe was in the 60s. It's an alpine lake and everything drains into it, so you have to be careful around it. And um, Diane and I just celebrated our 10th anniversary, and we had uh, our very first ever strategic plan where we sat down and looked forward and said, wow, here we are. Who would have known we'd be here 10 years later, but where are we going? And one of those key things we need to do is develop future leaders. Um, We love our life here and we're thriving and the mission is really bearing a lot of fruit, serving uh, our neighbors and especially children with all the things we've talked about. But because um, it's been an unusual calling, not everybody does what we do. (laughs) And we're working on uh, leadership development. We wanna get um, people of like-minded hearts and faith just to come and serve and, and, and um, make this world a little better place in, in this particular high need area. So that's key is developing leadership for the future to run the farm and, and to provide most of the services that we've developed over 10 years. Uh, so that that's important. And Diane's dream of, um, she wants to be here for a whole generation and raise the children of our current students.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful.
2: And so we want to be here. And we tell people, unless another vision hits us, we will be one day recycled and composted right here on our own organic farm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So those are beautiful dreams, and we wish you and Diane all the best with them and look forward to hearing how everything's going. And you have such a holistic element there to your mission, and I would love to share with our listeners how volunteers can become involved, how people can become involved in helping with supplies. Uh, Is it best to maybe go to your website or please share with us the best way to get involved
2: well thank you aniko i appreciate that um, because that's our 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 life Um, we haven't had salaries in 10 years we're completely volunteer based we the whole mission runs on one percent overhead because nobody has salaries none of the uh, volunteers Uh, so we have uh, opalhouse.org is our website which has all kinds of descriptions about how to volunteer. Our Facebook page of Opal House Guatemala Uh, that also share. We share a lot of our stories and our school events and surgical programs and everything we're doing on the farm, often on Facebook. And and of course, just regular email um, uh, is an easy way to talk to people and uh, even skyping like we're doing today halfway around the world. So it's it's gotten a lot easier to communicate with people quickly. And uh, we get all kinds of volunteers from all over the U.S. Our, our surgery team came from 10 U.S. states just last month, including Hawaii. We had people from the Aloha team in Honolulu.
1: Oh, that's so wonderful. That, that's truly incredible. And Um, I'm sure they're just loving being part of Opal House and all that you do over there. And I hope that um, you'll find great leadership to carry forward your wonderful work as you've had such an amazing life of service and how you're helping so many children there. And it happens to be on a coffee farm, which is just an amazing story. For our listeners, how would you say you balance your time, Dr. Will? Uh,
2: That is kind of a freak show (laughs) (laughs) because we wear about 25 hats here. I'm the school bus driver for the kids. Um, uh, My wife and I uh, just run around here all day, uh, running in and out of the school, um, helping with whatever the teachers need. We just assist the teachers. Um, I'm in clinic three days a week. Uh, I run Rotary uh, for three years as a president. Um, We And and then a a busy surgical program. I find children all year long that have handicaps and very significant deformities that you don't see in the U.S. because everything's kind of spirited into children's hospitals. You don't see it in the community. I see it all here. It's a very... um, uh, sad to see a, uh, a, a whole country without 17 mil- of 17 million people without a children's hospital. So we're running in 19 different directions every day. And, um, but the good thing is because we don't have any overhead, we don't have any bills, the whole farm is paid for. Listen, we are present to people. We, we're not in such a rush that we can't respond So we become followers rather than leaders. I was a leader in the U.S. I was doctor of the year in Seattle, podiatrist of the year. I had a good career. But here we just follow. And so it's a very upside down life of listening and following and responding and taking the time with people who really need your your ear.
1: I think your suggestion is so powerful to really listen to needs and that's very inspiring for our listeners and how you ended up there on a farm in Guatemala without a formal plan but you listen to the needs and it's been evolving and all the good that has come out of it has is just so inspiring to all of us how do you and Diane sometimes when you have challenging moments what are some words of wisdom that might help someone during a challenging time?
2: Well, thank you. Um, I, we can't do this without each other. We're a very strong team, and Diana is my soulmate. And we talk a lot, and we have quiet time to to discuss challenges every day. We've also really enjoyed something in the last few years, and we've taken some t- uh, sabbatical time. Um, Diane is um, a good athlete and likes to be outdoors, and this is a rugged farm, and we're working. It's a physical job. We're this is a working farm, and I'm lifting hundred pound bags of coffee, and she's doing the same with kids, and we work hard. But we decided to take the occasional sabbatical with private funds from help, people who have privately funded a, a time away. So we've walked the Camino, to Santiago in northern spain three times uh, we've yeah. love physical long distance walking walking 12 to 15 miles a day visiting churches taking time to think and getting away from the farm has really helped us with our perspective and our um, our basically this is a faith journey so it's been good for us to be active and get away and come back to the farm very refreshed and I, I did that once at Virginia Mason, and, and it was a great refresher after seven years to step back from my practice. And so um, we do that every other year. We'll take a month off and go do a very physical, um, you know, walk 300 or 400 miles in a month and, um, and, and, and get recharged. You know, you have to get your batteries recharged physically and for us spiritually.
1: Those are very good words of wisdom, and thank you for sharing, Dr. Will. And and we're going to close in a couple minutes, but I wondered, your journey, your life of service, along with Diane, is such an amazing story. If you were to somehow write a book, what would that book look like?
2: Well, um, we've let go of a lot of things. We have unlearned a lot of things. It's funny, you might think, why would unlearning be? <laughs> well, we've given up a big salary, Diane too, and went and have, we're dependent on people. And that is um, a trust thing, especially for Diane giving up a home. We don't own this. This whole farm has been given away to the mission. We don't own anything. So that's not an American goal, to not own anything. <laughs> And so we've turned our values upside down to not own things, to live light, uh, let go and to follow instead of being in control. This is a a, a very big um, interior journey as well as an exterior journey. And a lot of people have understood that. Our friends and our board members and a lot of our supporters have understood that there's a strength in not owning things and that frees you up to be the best human being you can be. So, that we've broken a lot of rules, <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, I would say to people be, be, uh, we actually call faith a four letter word, it's R I S K. We won't use any bad words, but risking yes. things and reaching out and letting go. Uh, you find yourself in service, and we've pretty much completely let go here. So we've found a lot about ourselves, and and how how to love neighbors and guests and people from all over the U.S. It's amazing. We know more people now from living on a volcano in Guatemala than we ever did in Seattle. Tell me how that works. It, <laughs> that's, it's not that's explainable. Amazing. <laughs>
1: yes, that's amazing. That would make for an incredible book to write about letting go and to to definitely focus more on the experiences versus the things. Thank you for sharing and thank you for joining us today. Dr. William Bogle, we have so enjoyed our chat with you. Thank you for sharing about a life of service, helping children on a coffee farm, how you've made such a difference in the lives of children, as well as your community there in Guatemala. And of course... In San Francisco and Seattle and where you've been, you've always had a life of service. So thank you to you and Diane, and we wish you all the best with Opal House, and thank you for sharing with us. And listeners, thank you for joining. We are so glad you've joined us. Of course, questions, you can always email us, radio at my favorite coffee door and You can always receive our Anikona 15% gift at anikona.com. We've so enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again, Dr. Will. All the best and aloha.
0: Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.